The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, I do have a little bit of a frog in my throat, so excuse me. I've been uh, fighting off a little bit of a sinus uh, congestion, but I'm doing good. I'm doing fine. Uh, at any rate, um, got our good program today as usual. Uh, we've got uh, two special guests that are going to be on later today. Uh, Mr. Kyle Biederman, state representative uh, here in here in the Texas state legislature, who has proposed uh, real important uh, legislation regarding the Alamo here in San Antonio. As you may know, San Antonio's liberal uh, city council is going through um, is going through the process of uh, redevelopment of the downtown area, and in the process, uh, in the, the one of the plans is uh, to redo the area around the Alamo, including removal of the old Alamo cenotaph. Uh, uh, also, in the plans is to uh, revise uh, the history of the uh, landmark uh, beyond just the Battle of the of uh, 1836, which, in many of our opinions, many of us have the opinion that it's going to do nothing more than water down the history of the Battle of the Alamo uh, for political uh, correctness purposes. At any rate, um, so um, we'll get Kyle to speak a little bit about that. We also have Miss Terry Hall. Uh, who is with a uh, who is with a group called Turf Texas uh, Texans United uh, for Road uh, Freedom, and uh, she um, is going to be telling us about what's happening with uh, mobility issues in the state legislature. Because one of the things that's very very important, my friends, quite often what we forget is uh, the effort by many uh, liberals in the name of climate change, in the name of community planning to uh, constrict and restrict our mobility. Uh, One thing is to uh, give us many mobility, many options to mobility, to moving around, to, uh, you know, for bikes, for motorcycles, et cetera, et cetera. But another thing is when the city or the state focuses on getting us literally uh, here in Bear County, what they've said is to get us out of the cars, uh, and uh, in that aspect of it, we've got to be careful because um, freedom of mobility, my friends, is a is a big thing to Americans. It certainly is a big te- thing to Texans, but it's a big thing to Americans because uh, what what has allowed us to uh, prosper is uh, our ability to move, to shop wherever we want to, to live wherever we want to, to move around uh, and do things. So um, that issue uh, is something that uh, she'll be. Uh, uh, giving us uh, an update on. And then, of course, finally, we're going to be chatting a little bit about the, uh, I'll be giving you in a few moments an update on immigration issues, what's been going on here locally. Um, and so uh, let's jump into our, our show because this past uh, weekend, uh, last weekend, uh, here in, here in uh, South Texas and Laredo and specifically, Laredo has a, uh, Laredo, Texas has a historic uh, event uh, an annual historic event called the Washington Day Birthday Celebration, Washington's Birthday Celebration. And um, because uh, it was a such a heavily, because it is and because it was such a heavily Hispanic uh, settlement uh, historically, uh, there has always been an effort by um, the uh, ruling elite – Let's call them that because that's what they are—the ruling elite of Laredo—to uh, um, to prove, so to speak, uh, their Americanism. At least that's what it what it was all about. And so, um, in the eighteen uh, in the early nineteen hundreds, uh, very early nineteen hundreds, they uh, um, instituted this celebration called the George Washington Celebration to uh, to celebrate being American uh, rather than being Mexican. Which is really, really strange because, you know, uh, over 100 years later, here uh, the issue of Mexicanism has become uh, predominant. At any rate, this year, uh, 
the big event attracted uh, none other than Nancy Pelosi, uh, the Democrat Speaker of the House, to uh, to the uh, to to Laredo. And uh, one of the things that she did was um, uh, visit, of course, the bridge, uh, but not to visit it uh, like uh, other politicians have to observe what's going on at the bridge with all of the uh, illegal, illegal immigration, et cetera, et cetera, and the contraband. No, no, no. She went to a ceremony, and the ceremony was all about the friendship with Mexico. There was a uh, ceremonial abrazo or the hugging at the uh, bridge. And then afterwards, there was, of course, the photo ops where everybody's smiling, you know, the Mexican mayor of uh, the mayor of, of uh, Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, the governor of, of uh, Tamaulipas, Mexico, the state across from, from uh, uh, Laredo. Uh, you know, all, all, all this smiling and hugging and everything was fine. And of course, um, during the process, Nancy Pelosi, along with uh, local Congressman uh, Henry uh, Cuellar, another Democrat, they all voiced their opinion that the wall is not necessary, that there is no problem at the border, blah, 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 you know? It, it, amazing, amazing. Uh, also, but uh, also during, the, during that very um, uh, event on Saturday at the bridge, apparently there was a, the wife of a Border Patrol agent voiced her concern for the safety of her husband, and the problems that they that he faces on a daily basis, that comment was not carried at all uh, in the major news uh, in Texas by the San Antonio Express. Didn't see anything about it. I didn't see anything about it in the uh, new in the uh, uh, media in the TV stations either around here. Um, I'm not sure. You know, if they didn't carry it here, I'm not. I, I kind of doubt that they carried it in Dallas or in Houston or in Austin, but, um, you know, she did uh, very emotionally ask Nancy Pelosi to do that. Well, um, you know, uh, number one, media ignored it. Number two, so did, so did uh, Nancy. Uh, let's, uh, so that all happened on Saturday. Let's uh, move forward a couple of days. Yesterday, uh, or should I say on Monday, uh, on Monday, the, the, the 48 hours after the Big Abrazo, uh, there was an attempt by about a hundred Hondurans on the Mexican side to rush the American side, the border, to gain entry into the United States. There have been uh, caravans that have been arriving in uh, various communities along the border, from uh, Del Rio to Eagle Pass uh, to uh, McAllen to Laredo. There have been caravans that have been arriving, and um, of course, um, the news media is carrying a lot of the liberal news media is carrying a lot of story about how frustrated these people are that they are not that they are not being allowed to cross the border at will. So um, on Monday, the uh, situation reached a boiling point apparently on the Mexican side where these hundred or so Hondurans attempted to rush the border. So they gathered at, uh, on the Mexican side, the Mexican police uh, dutifully tried to stop everything. Of course, that's, you know, doing their best, but uh, there was an attempt for them to, uh, to go across uh, the U uh, S side, the border patrol immediately shut down the, um, the border and uh, stopped all, Transportation stopped all entry, um, just closed it down. And so uh, in that, uh, at, at that time, nothing was moving, nothing was going across. It was big. Uh, the Laredo Chamber of Commerce was very upset because it interrupted commerce, it interrupted trade. Um, human rights uh, organizations were freaking out because um, they were, again, the United States immigration policy was being inhumane, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, here we go. Uh, 20, 48 hours after Nancy Pelosi has stand, stood there and said that everything is fine, you've got a group of foreigners, a hundred of them or so, a hundred of them or so, ready to invade, ready to rush the border and enter on their terms. I mean, folks, it, it, do we see something wrong with that? Do we see something wrong with that? 
it, it was just uh, it, it 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 is amazing to me. Not only that, but um, you know, uh, a, a day after that situation on Tuesday, on Tuesday we had the situation where thirteen Republicans, including including Republican, uh, including Re- Republican Will Hurd, who is who represents uh, the border area from Del Rio Eagle Pass up to El Paso. Um, He's a Republican, and he voted against the wall. He voted against funding the wall. Amazing. Uh, It it just is is shocking to me that this guy, who has shown himself to be very, very much a a rhino, a a Democrat in disguise, uh, would vote against this matter. Um couple of other issues that have been going on, a couple of other issues that are going on besides the, the, these, uh, you know, these uh, situations here on the border. We've got also uh, a uh, poll that came out that was announced in uh, USA Today, a Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac poll, university poll that was announced on Tuesday, uh, February 26, uh, about how 48 percent of Texas voters oppose construction of the wall, while another 48 support it. I'm not sure who Quinnipiac is uh, is polling, but I guarantee that uh, it's not 48-48. I, I, I guarantee. I'm not sure. I mean, I, and the only thing I can think of is this a fake poll and fake news at the same time. I, I, I just, amazing. Also, also in another situation, um, two Ecuadorian brothers who ran a company that traded with abortionists in baby parts. Uh, they were uh, arrested by by ICE uh, in uh, in New Jersey. Amazing, just amazing. ICE uh, spokesman said that the two brothers, Roberto and William Isaias, were unlawfully present in the United States. I mean, not only were they illegal aliens, they were also involved in the removal operation, the, in the removal and um, trade of uh, baby parts. Uh, it, it, you know, you can't make this up, my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP, uh, 9.30 a.m. radio. We'll be right back. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his Internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. You are invited to George's next speaking engagements, Monday, March 11th at 6.30 p.m. at the North Hayes County Republican Group at 230 Sports Park Road in Dripping Springs, and Wednesday, March 13th at noon at the Yoakum Area Republican Women's Club at the Yoakum Library in Yoakum. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on KLUP 930 AM, The Answer. And um, let's talk about uh, this issue of uh, assimilation, which exploded... (laughs) which exploded in the face of poor Tom Brokaw uh, on NBC a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, as you recall, um, Tom Brokaw was, uh, was on NBC's Meet the Press, and uh, he made uh, an honest observation on his, uh, uh, you know, his own opinion, my friends. And, of course, you know, it, 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 sometimes if, if you've got an opinion that doesn't, that rubs, uh, the left the wrong way. Of course, uh, they jump all over you. Well, J- Tom Brokaw make, uh, made a, uh, during the, the, the discussion about immigration, he made uh, a comment that uh, Hispanics should work harder 
Yes, that they should work harder at assimilation. And um, that comment just blew up on him. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, you know, the fact of it uh, is that he's correct, regardless of what all the left, uh, particularly leftist Hispanics, jumped all over him. Regardless of what they say, uh, I believe it, that, that it is a fact that um, Hispanics, uh, for various reasons, are not melting into American society as an immigrant group. Um, and I fault one of the big things that I fault uh, with it is a bilingual education. Um, bilingual education is one of the big culprits in this whole issue. Uh, back in 1974, um, this UN, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld this case called Lau versus Nichols. And um, they uh, said that there was a failure to consider and adapt instruction for children who did not speak English and that that violated the federal equal protection requirements. Okay, So because of the fact that they were not getting uh, uh, instruction, they were not being taught in their language. Somehow that was uh, a failure of equality. Well, you know, seven years after that, um, the uh, there, there was another case here in Texas that ordered the state to specialize uh, in instruction for children with limited English proficiency. And so with those two cases, we are off and running on the issue of illegal of, of, of bilingual education. And since then, it has proliferated. And right now, the state legislature in Texas uh, is in session, and uh, there is a big discussion as to how to fund uh, education, public education in the state, how to keep um, the poorer districts uh, funded uh, and, and competitive with the richer districts. Well, you know, among those things that are that are considered in there is uh, the funding for bilingual education, which has become just a part of public school programs in general. You know, here's the problem, my friends. Here's the problem with all of this, because every immigrant group, every immigrant group, including, including, because they weren't immigrants, they were slaves, they were forcefully brought here, but every group that's come to the United States historically has come with a language disadvantage. They have all come. Everyone has come with a language disadvantage. And, you know, the thing that, that makes us a nation that unifies us in any form or fashion is the fact that we speak English. Yeah, we don't speak at all the same. I mean, you know, if you ever talk to, to some Bostonian, you know, they, they look at us differently whenever we say y'all. Well, you know, that's the way we, we speak in Texas. However, you know, that is the commonality. The commonality, we don't have a racial commonality. We don't have an ethnic commonality. We don't have a religious commonality. We have an, a, a language commonality in this nation. And when you seek to uh, encourage a second language, uh, in my opinion, what you're doing is separating us, okay? Hispanics are very, very different from all the other immigrant groups that come to the United States because Latin America is just next door. And for every uh, uh, Hispanic that learns English, there's one that just crossed the border, maybe two, three, that just crossed the border and um, starting the whole process. So they're, you know, their language and the culture is kept alive. Uh, bilingual education, though, segregates these immigrant students in, in, in schools, it segregates them and it delays their integration into society. Instead of encouraging and helping them to assimilate, they're often taught that this is the other problem. They're often taught that they are victims of a racist uh, society, that they are victims uh, of, uh, of a society that doesn't really, really want them because they're Hispanic. And at the same time, their culture is reinforced some more. You know, uh, to me, it's government-approved linguistic segregation. That's a long term, but that's what it is. Government-approved linguistic segregation. Also, bilingual education has become part of uh, what I call an industrial, industrial, uh, educational industrial complex. And that means that they, this educational industrial complex, the only thing that these folks try to do is advance their own agenda and increase their political and, and social influence. 
This complex is an informal alliance of the nation's educators, the educational institutions, and the advocates for education who all just want more money, who all just want more power, who want more, more influence. And among those is the issue of um, bilingual education. Illegal immigration is also fueling uh, this problem because it brings in more and more people. Let me give you an, let me give you an idea about, about that. Let me give you an idea about that. According to the, to, uh, the Border Patrol data for 2017, there were 41,000, 41,000, over 41,000 minors that were ap- apprehended. Okay, those are the ones that were caught, apprehended. And not only is a border is a minor apprehended and caught, they are they are held and detained, and then in the process they are uh, they're kept in the United States and they are they are educated. So that's forty one thousand kids that came in in twenty eighteen. Fifty thousand came in, and as of twenty nineteen, so far in January, as of January of last month. There were 20,000 from October to January. There were 20,000 have been apprehended. That's almost half of what the other two, two uh, years uh, had. I mean, that's, that's amazing, my friends. That is a large number of new young people who are going to be funneled into the public school system who are going to want and need public, uh, bilingual education. Those figures, my, my friends, also don't include the family units um, that are apprehended who have uh, school age children by, with them because these are un, the the numbers I gave you were, were uh, illegal alien minors that had been apprehended by themselves. So you can see that the numbers are very very large, and they're growing. Another factor that supports the this uh, bilingual you know that supports bilingual education but stymies uh, Hispanic assimilation is the Spanish language media. The media you know. It, continues to feed uh, their, their, their uh, uh, language while it doesn't encourage them to learn English. Madison Avenue X executives and social sciences claim that Spanish language media is necessary to serve Hispanics with America's products to, to, so that they can buy things. You know, fun and dandy, the commercials. However, there's been a significant growth of uh, Spanish language dominant households who are not learning English, who are not learning English. And again, you know, that's a direct uh, issue that, you know, I mean, this lack uh, of, of need to learn English, to buy milk. I mean, I, I don't understand that. I really don't understand that. According to uh, a 2015 report, uh, 8% of the U.S. population uh, is considered English limited. Spanish speakers being the highest number among that group. Eight percent. You know, when when somebody like, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic Democrat Congressman Joaquin Castro goes off on Brokaw and calls him ignorant because of his comments regarding assimilation. I, I you know, my response to that is that the, really the true the problem is the ignorance of uh, Mr. Castro, of Congressman Castro, because if if Hispanics are not assimilating, my friends, that's not helping them. Democrats want to play the race, you know, they want to play race politics with Hispanics, fine and dandy. They want to herd them together to make them dependent economically and politically on local political bosses, fine and dandy. I can understand that. However, assimilation into American society by all immigrant groups is important because we are racially, ethnically, and religiously diverse. And language is the common bond, along with the respect of the Constitution and the law, I hope. But that is the common bond. Hispanics and all immigrants should assimilate, my friends, rather than retain old world values and language and even try to, uh, you know, some even try to recreate their home country in our, con- in, in our nation. You know, what is the point, my friends, in coming to America if you don't become an American? Ooh, that, that, that is an awful, stinging comment. You know, but that's the reality. The, you know, anyone who has traveled abroad, anyone who has lived abroad, 
immediately recognizes that they are, are their their outlook on life, their view, their culture, their behavior is unique to the rest of the world because they are American. Because they are American. I was listening to Charles Barkley the other day on a uh, ESPN special when they went to Madrid, the dream team. And Barkley was talking about how he recognized, you know, as a black American, how American America was because we are so different. You know, his comment, uh, as you recall, regarding uh, playing against Nigeria team. Oh, my gosh. You know, he, he, he upset the Africans. Well, he's an American. Uh, once again, my friends, we need to assimilate. We need to assimilate. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP, 9.30 a.m. radio in San Antonio. Thank you very much. All right, folks, uh, we want to welcome uh, a very uh, special guest to our show, George Rodriguez, on KLUP 9:30 a.m. El Conservador, we've got uh, Miss Terry Hall uh, on the uh, show, and she's going to talk to us about what's going on in Austin with regards to transportation and other issues. Terry, welcome to the show, and tell us what is the name of your organization. Well, thanks for having me. It's Turf. It's one of our uh, legislative advocacy groups, and we also have a political action committee named Texans for Toll-Free Highways, where we can endorse candidates to get involved more on the political side, but for right now, I'm wearing the Texas turf hat, and for anyone interested in more information about what we talk about on today's show, you can find out more at our website, which is TexasTurf, T-U-R-F as in freedom, dot org, TexasTurf.org. Great. So what is happening uh, in Austin with regards to legislative, to uh, to uh, legislation and and uh, the toll roads, as well as uh, anything else that might be affecting us? Well, sadly, um, a bill was just filed last week that actually undermines all the reform bills that we have already had filed by some of our good guys. And it also undermines Governor Abbott's pledge to the voters back when he not only ran for the pledge um, the second time when he just got reelected, as you know, and that is that moving forward, we're not going to do any more toll roads in Texas. He thankfully decided to listen to the we the people, the public, on this issue and realize that we're getting covered up in toll roads all across this state, uh, particularly in the Metroplex and in the Austin and Houston areas. And uh, that tax burden is getting so heavy for Texas drivers that he decided to put a lid on it and say no more moving forward. So a bill was filed by uh, Representative Matt Krause of the House last week, House Bill 1951, And it's actually a fake toll road reform bill. It's being billed as a Toll Payer Protection Act, but actually the very first section of the bill, right out the gate, would reauthorize these very controversial public-private partnership contracts known as Comprehensive Development Agreements here in Texas. And it basically is the type of contract that you're familiar with um, in the San Antonio area known as State Highway 130. You remember, George, just a number of years ago, that first public-private partnership toll road in Texas went bankrupt in less than three years. This is when the private sector teams up with big government to be here, and they get the taxpayers on the hook for their, uh, to guarantee their loan, we're on the hook for their losses, we're on the hook for the uncollectible tolls that they can from out of the drive, and from those from uh, that come over from other countries, and so we're basically getting hosed on these uh, punitively high tolls that are being charged by private companies who get granted a government-sanctioned monopoly. And uh, this bill actually would reauthorize that after the governor said no more. In fact, the lieutenant governor said no more to those. And the transportation committee chair has said we're not doing any more of those contracts because it's been um, such a bad deal for Texas taxpayers and because of all the blowback that we've gotten from, from taxpayers. So we're asking people instead to call their state representative and their state senator and ask him to support toll road reform bills. And that th- this other bill contains all of these bills that I'm going to see about now. The first one is fourth filed by Representative Senator Wells filed a new bill in the Senate. And this would actually take the toll off the road when it's paid for. 
Because even though the governor has said no more toll roads moving forward, we already have 55 toll roads and 28 independent toll systems that are already open and on the ground today. And the way the state law reads today, they can keep extending out that system into perpetuity and charge you tolls forever. They are not required to take it down um, ever. It becomes a perpetual new tax by unelected boards. So we absolutely want that bill to get past the finish line. We have had someone for this bill now since 2011 leaf on this issue um, when it comes to taking the toll off the road when it's paid for. So we really want to get the, the grassroots to get their state lawmakers behind this and get momentum behind genuine toll road reform, which is toll cessation. And- but, uh, uh, tell the folks, because, uh, you know, the argument that here instantly is that, um, you know, toll roads are beneficial because they help the ta- pay uh, for what, um, you know, the taxpayer can't. However, you know, it, it is it true that uh, the taxpayer is still flipping the bill and continues to flip the bill forever because a, ta- because a toll uh, it never pays for itself? Can you explain? Well, there's an initial debt that, that a road incurs when they borrow the toll revenue bonds generally. That's how it used to get funded. And you would be paying back those toll revenue bonds with interest um, until the, those bonds are retired. They call it retired is what they call it when they pay off the road. And that's what we mean by taking the toll off the road. That debt's retired. We have an ongoing maintenance cost, and we get that. Um, but there was actually a report done a couple of years back by the former House Transportation Committee Chair Joe Pickett and Senator Bob Hall on the Senate side. It was House Bill 2612, and they gave a report to the legislature about that very issue saying, look, that's just a red herring to say that we got to keep the toll on in perpetuity simply to pay for maintenance. It's insane. Um, when we have 80,000 lane miles of highway in Texas that our gas tax has to maintain today versus only about 900 miles of toll lanes, um, they could absorb that as part of TxDOT's ongoing budget that we pay for already through our tax money, gas taxes, vehicle registration fees, vehicle sales tax, you name it. We are certainly not undertaxed in this department. Um, All of those taxes could easily absorb 900 miles of toll roads as we slowly take the toll off of these these projects. Wow. uh, Now, who are are the folks, who are the lobbyists that uh, are really about them to to see the light of day, for them to give birth in, in, in Austin. Who's responsible for that? Well, there's a new group that's cropped up. There's been various groups throughout the years, ever since Rick Perry opened this Pandora's box on the Texans. Um, but the newest one is called Texans for Traffic Relief. They've got six lobbyists swarming the capital, capital right now, and on the other side, there's truly <laughs> trying to advocate on behalf of we the people, because we're all volunteers. We're truly the grassroots trying to defend taxpayers from this enormous tax burden. If you talk to some of the folks now in the Metroplex, um, they're facing paying 40 bucks a day in tolls to get, for instance, from Fort Worth into Dallas and back home again on these privatized toll roads up there. And this horrible bill that was filed, House Bill 1951, would actually continue that and reauthorize those types of contracts that are just gouging Texas drivers to get to and from work. Sometimes we're seeing tolls in excess of a dollar a mile just to get to work. So these lobbyists obviously are being hired, hired hands by companies like Centra uh, that benefit greatly from having um, a government-sanctioned monopoly handed to them where they have profit guarantees and taxpayer-backed loans. So when they fail, just like on State Highway 130 when it failed, the bankruptcy court literally wiped out all of that road's debt Yet a new company was allowed to come in, take over that project, and collect tolls until 2042 on a road that's basically paid for already because they wiped out the the toll operator's debt. And that also means that we, the people, um, had a $430 million federal TIFIA loan, which was backed by you and I, the federal taxpayer, that aren't going to ever see a dime of that money. So at the end of the day, it's a scam what's going on, and there's, there's obviously people out there that are trying to put the veneer on this bill to make it look like it's um, a, you know, a pro-taxpayer bill because it does have some aspects of dialing down when that toll comes off the road and, and things like that, some toll collection reform and such. But we already have standalone bills to do both of those things, and they don't have uh, loopholes in them that the lobbyists like for their clients. And so we're trying to get folks 
to uh, look on our website at texasturf.org and look up the bill numbers and have you call the Capitol switchboard and talk to your state representative and your, your state senators and ask them to get behind these true toll road reform bills. The first is to take the toll off the road when it's paid for, which is House Bill 436. The second is Senate Bill 382. Senate Bill 382. And we haven't talked about this one yet, George, but it's toll reform. Now, now anyone who's encountered a toll road recently in the state of Texas knows that they tack on punitive fines and fees, exorbitant fines and fees, onto what was a pretty small toll bill in a lot of cases. For instance, we hear from people that have had a $20 worth of, of tolls uh, owed, and they've had thousands of dollars in fines and fees tacked onto that bill before they ever had the chance to pay the bill without those tolls and, and um, wow. without the fines and fees tacked onto their bill. A lot of times people don't ever get any bill from these tolling entities that are basically an arm of um, state government and have been authorized through state law. And they are literally being thrown in collections before they even have a chance to pay the bill without having this financial hit to their credit. And in fact, last summer we found out through one of the interim uh, committees and one of the studies they did uh, in between the legislative sessions that TxDOT alone has put more than 2 million Texans in collections over unpaid tolls. So I'm talking, this is a question. TxDOT only operates for toll projects. And that doesn't count the 13 RMAs, the North Texas Tollway Authority, or the Harris County Toller Authority, which have enormous toll systems and have millions more people that are entrapped in this horrible debt toll road cycle. And remember, it doesn't take much to become what they, they say in the eyes of the law makes you a habitual toll violator. A hundred toll violations sounds like a lot, but the way they count a toll transaction is what, what kills people. You can go under a toll camera maybe four or five times um, on your way to work and hit those same cameras on the way home four or five times. In less than 30 days, if your toll uh, tag is not working or if your payment card expired or some other, you know, inadvertent issue comes up and, and your payment card is not, um, your toll tax not active for some reason, all it takes is 30 days and you're a habitual toll violator in the eyes of Texas law and they can block your vehicle registration and impound your car. Oh, wow. Now you can't get to work to pay the toll bill. It's totally counterproductive and even worse. It's actually a criminal misdemeanor. So you are literally being criminalized over an unpaid toll, bringing us back to the days of debtors' prisons, which is totally unconstitutional. So those are our two big uh, toll road reform bills that we're trying to get through this session. We got a little bit last session uh, with some toll road reform where they capped some of the fines and fees at 48 bucks a year um, on a couple of the TxDOT toll projects. But literally, the, the leadership wouldn't hear our bill so we had to put it into an amendment form, and it only applied to TxDOT because that was the only bill that we could get to tack it onto. But we need broad, uniform toll collection reform that applies to all of these entities so that people aren't confused when they're on the east side of Austin and your fines and fees get capped at 48 bucks a year if you're on a TxDOT-operated toll road. But if you're on the west side of Austin, you literally are um, told by a different entity called a Regional Mobility Authority, or RMA, and, and the sky's the limit on how much they can charge you. And the <laughs> definition of habitual toll violator differs based on whatever agency it is. Amazing. So Terry, Terry we're, we're running... To say the least. Yeah, we're running out of time. Tell the folks once again how they can um, how they can contact you, how they can find more information about your organization. Absolutely. And I know I threw a lot of bill numbers out at you, and it gets confusing for the public. So please go to our website, if you would, texasturf.org. It's Texas spelled out. T-U-R-F is in freedom dot O-R-G. And we have a grassroots action center page where it gives you all kinds of information that can also help you click on a button where it can tell you who your state lawmakers are by putting in your zip code. And it also tells you the capital switchboard number and the bill numbers that we need to push to get true toll road reform this session and end this nightmare of perpetual tolling and uh, being put into collections over unpaid toll bills. Wonderful. Thank you for being on our show, on our show, uh, Terry. Have a good one, and we'll get you back on as uh, as legislation progresses. All righty. Great. Thanks so much, George. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on El Conservador. 
KLUP 930 AM, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. You are invited to George's next speaking engagements, Monday, March 11th at 6.30 p.m. at the North Hayes County Republican Group at 230 Sports Park Road in Dripping Springs, and Wednesday, March 13th at noon at the Yoakum Area Republican Women's Club at the Yoakum Library in Yoakum. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, Please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. All right, folks, welcome. Uh, This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, once again on KLUP 930 Radio, The Answer in San Antonio. And we want to welcome our guest, uh, State Representative Kyle Biederman. And um, the uh, the representative is working on a uh, special legislation in in, in uh, Austin uh, related to uh, to the Alamo uh, House Bill eighteen thirty six, which is an appropriate n- n- number for it. So uh, let's welcome him and let's ask him to uh, tell us a little bit about this bill. Welcome to the show, uh, Representative. Please tell us what about this this uh, this bill that you're sponsoring. Well, thank you, George. I'm uh, I'm very grateful to be able to be on the sh- on your show to also get this information out. Uh, it's a shame that so many people don't really know what the Alamo plan is and what what was actually signed by the city of San Antonio uh, with um, uh, Commissioner Bush and the GLO. So, because it was done while we were not in session, um, I needed we need this is our last chance. This is the last chance at the Alamo to protect and maintain the Alamo Cenotaph as well as keep control of the Alamo um, history, but also the story by the state of Texas and not the changes that the city of San Antonio wants to make there. So HB 1836, and of course the, the year of the Battle of the Alamo, uh, is a bill that will um, have the legislature be able to have oversight for the projects and changes to the Alamo story that's being told um, at the Alamo, as well as keeping the cenotaph from being moved. Uh, On this bill also, we're going to have the power of eminent domain, where instead of having a long-term lease with the city of San Antonio, the state of Texas has the right to just take that property since the city of San Antonio will not give it to the state of Texas. And so that's the bill right there. It's very simple. Right. And, and, and to give a little bit of background to the folks uh, who may not know, the Alamo downtown in San Antonio, I mean, it's literally right in the heart of San Antonio. Um, because there is so much redevelopment going on in the downtown area, suddenly it became the focus of redevelopment, obviously. And uh, not only is it, it, it are there questions about redeveloping the area and the um, the footprint the air the uh, the plaza itself, but also um, a, a a discussion about how to tell the history. Now now, uh, Representative Biederman, tell me uh, if you know. It seems to me that the main reason why people know of the Alamo worldwide is because of the battle, rather than because of any uh, archaeological evidence around in the area. Am I wrong? <laughs> Oh, you are exactly right. So uh, it's interesting that um, that information of the change of the emphasis of the Alamo footprint has not really gotten out to the public because, um, again, the city of San Antonio and the GLO did not want that information gotten out. They want to just show about all the good things that they want to do for the Alamo, like like um, fixing up the Alamo Church, the Long Barracks, and, of course, 
the state of Texas buying the buildings across the street, across Alamo Plaza, uh, which will be a museum and a visitor center. I mean, all good things. And the problem is the uh, controversy is the cenotaph and the reason why they would want to even move the empty tomb of our defenders. Right. Of course, they are not there. They're not buried there. And that's what some people say. Well, there's no one buried there, so it's not that important. Well, the reason they're not buried there is because when Santa Ana came over the walls and uh, murdered the rest of the defenders, that he wanted to drag their bodies and burn them four blocks away to make sure there would never be a memory of that battle and of these defenders, because you know how powerful, and everybody knows, that's why you come to the Alamo to see these brave, courageous men who knew they were going to die, and they died for Texas. And, of course, months later, uh, the Texans uh, overcame Santa Ana and San Jacinto, and that's when we became uh, actually a country at that time. So Santa Ana knew that. We need to get rid of that memory of the defenders. And so it seems like moving the cenotaph, moving their empty tomb, is the same thing about getting rid of the defenders and replacing it with 10,000 years of history on that site. Oh, and yes, there was a battle. That's a shame. Yeah, watering down the history. Let me ask you another question because, you know, uh, related to to um, to this issue of, of, of the plan and your bill, uh, one of the criticisms that the um, that the city council folks here uh, have raised is related to the issue of uh, the the city uh, wanting to own the property and then wanting then to. Uh, directed now let me let me make sure that we understand okay uh, isn't the Alamo about the history of the entire state of Texas and therefore uh, shouldn't all Texans care about it well they sure should and here's the here's the shame is we had the GLO and the city of San Antonio um, going on a road show to sell their Alamo plan and that's all good, but they weren't telling the whole truth. And so the land in front between the Alamo and the buildings across the street at the Alamo Plaza will be leased to the state of Texas from the city of San Antonio. Now, the motivations for the city of San Antonio are not necessarily the same motivations as the state of Texas, as the citizens of Texas. Citizens of Texas want the Alamo, want the battle, want the defenders, um, memorialized, all that is what is important on the Alamo battlefield and in front of the Alamo. Now, in the museum, if you want to tell a more complete history of that site for 300 years, um, put it in the museum. But on the battlefield, uh, that should be the defenders. But since it's a long-term lease now, the city of San Antonio um, has some control over what is going to be portrayed on that property. And that's where the World Heritage Site designation comes in. Right now, that is a World Heritage Site designation. And the lease basically says that the state of Texas, in what they do on that site, cannot jeopardize the designation of a World Heritage Site. And to be a designation for a World Heritage Site means that there are certain um, guiding principles that need to be included in telling the story of that site. And that's where all the talk about United Nations, UNESCO, which is all you know, World Heritage Site um, information or, or uh, the ones behind it, <clears throat> that's where all of that comes from. And so City of San Antonio doesn't want to jeopardize the World Heritage Site, which means they have to tell a 10,000-year history on that site, not just the battle. And that's what, that's what we need to stop. And that's why we want to do the eminent domain take over that land so that it's not a long-term lease with the city of San Antonio. Yep. The, the, the Alamo belongs to the, the, uh, the Texas's history. I mean, that's what, uh, that's what it's all about rather than, than, uh, you know, any stone age activities that went on there. I mean, you know, I'm sorry to say it, but that's the whole reason for the Alamo in my book is, uh, is the 1836 battle. Well, if you talk to 
every visitor that comes to the Alamo, and it's the number one attraction in the state of Texas already, can it be a better attraction telling more of the Alamo story and the battle and making it a better presentation? Of course it can, and that's what we should be doing in this Alamo plan. But if you talk to those people coming to visit, um, they want to hear about the Alamo and the Alamo battle. They don't want to hear about 10,000 years of history there. We can tell that in a museum or the other missions. Exactly. But the Alamo, they're coming for that. But the problem is most San Antonians do not know what is going to happen on that site. And so our kids and our grandkids are not going to see or hear the same Texas uh, independence story that we have all grown up with. That's right. That's right. Uh, we're getting close to to, to uh, the end here. Um Tell tell the folks how they can read more up on this uh, on this bill or what they can do to support it, Carl, uh, Representative. Okay. Well, HB eighteen thirty six is is the bill number, and you can go um, online and uh, get information. But you can also contact my office, um, State Representative Kyle Biederman, uh, or go to my website, kylebiederman dot com, and that's K Y L E B I E D. E-R-M-A-N-N.com. And we will be happy to get you any information, but most of it's right there. The problem is it's hard to get the details that I've spoken about this on your show right now from the city or from any of their websites. It is uh, They have purposely made it difficult to see that. But what I've told you is the, is the exact truth, and that's why this bill is so important. It's now or never. The line in the sand has been drawn for the state of Texas to protect and preserve the Alamo for the battle and the defenders that fought there to give us the independence of Texas. And uh, that is our history, and we can't change that. That's exactly right. Uh, Representative, State Representative Kyle Biederman from uh, Fredericksburg, we want to thank you for the fight. We want to thank you for remembering the Alamo, and thank you for being on, their, on our show. Well, God bless you. Uh, I appreciate all that you're doing, George, and uh, God bless the state of Texas. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer.